Welcome to the Ashley and Grace podcast show. We're two moms with kids that have special needs. We're sharing our journey because we want you to know you are not alone. Let's get to it. It is so good to talk to you. You too. (laughs) So, I am very excited for this conversation and to introduce you. I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself in a second. I just want to talk about how most people hear me talk a lot about autism and grace because I share a lot about that. But a lot of people don't know that she has a... Another illness that's called propionic acidemia, and that was the initial thing that we found out about. We didn't find out about autism till later on in Grace's life, and it's it's an even bigger issue, as if autism wasn't a big issue, but um, issue, I mean, it's complicated. It's a, it's a, a lot of different things that go along with it, and I wanted to talk to Jill because... <laughs> She's experienced this firsthand, and she can share in depth about everything that goes with it. So, welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you. <laughs> so, go ahead, give us your full name, um, and and go from there. Whatever you, however you want to share, we, I want to let them learn about propionic acidemia, and I want them to learn about you. What you do. Okay, great. Um, so I guess we could start from the beginning. Uh, my name is Jill Cherto Franks. Um, I am the founder and president of the Propionic Acidemia Foundation. So I thought maybe I'd share a little bit about how that came to be. Um, in January of 2000, my son Jordan was born, and he was 8 pounds, 14 ounces, you know, good-sized baby, you know, we assumed he was healthy, assumed everything was fine, um, he wasn't really nursing, and, but, you know, he had a fast birth, and didn't really, you know, I wasn't too concerned, and the hospital wasn't concerned either, and so he was born on a Friday, and discharged on Super Bowl Sunday, um, hmm. you know, I, a little bit concerned, but, you know, the doctor basically, um, what kind of threw me is the doctor on that Sunday said to me, do you feel comfortable taking him home? Hmm. And I said, I don't understand the question. And he said, well, you know, there were, he had had some breathing issues from the fast birth, and they said, well, maybe he's not swallowed some meconium, and, you know, we think he's fine, you can take him home, just bring him into the office in a couple of days so we can, you know, check him out. And I said, okay, fine. So we, we check out on that Sunday, and it's you know, two thirty in the afternoon, and um, I live in Chicago, and it was end of January, so freezing cold here, oh, yes. lovely winter. And um, so the next morning, and, and he still wasn't nursing right, and they're like, "Well, you know, your milk." I was breastfeeding, maybe you know, your milk takes a couple of days to come in, and you know, they weren't concerned. So I'm like, "Well, if they're not concerned, I shouldn't be too concerned." Mm-hmm. 
my son was non-responsive. Mm. And um, we had moved into a new house, and we were actually sleeping on the first floor of the house, mm. and he was next to me, and I started banging the floor next to him. I'm like, he, he is not responding. He's not opening his eyes. Like, there, there was something definitely more wrong. He, he wasn't hot. So I'm like, okay, well, he doesn't have his temperature, um, but just kind of not sure. So I called the pediatrician because I think I was in a little bit of a state of shock at this point. Mm-hmm. And the pediatrician says, you know, why don't you bring him in? So I'm like, okay. So I bring him to the pediatrician's office, and the nurse comes in, takes his temperature, and I said, oh, what's his temperature? Because he, he felt normal to me, and they said 93.6. Hmm. Hmm. And I said, what's that? I said, what does it mean to be 93.6? I said, I know of high temperatures. I've never heard of a low temperature. Yeah. And she said, oh, well, I, you know, the doctor will talk to you. I'm like, okay. So, and, and he's still, you know, he's kind of, you know, he was doing some movements, which I now know, you know, were seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not really responding. And so, you know, we're in the pediatrician's office. And the pediatrician comes in and says, um, maybe he's a little dehydrated. So you have your choice. Um, you can try formula with him or you can go into the hospital for IV fluids. So I was like, well, you know, why put him through the trauma of the hospital? Give me some formula. Yeah. So he leaves and he comes back and he goes, you know what? I think he should take, he should go to the hospital. He goes, you know, I, I know you just had a baby and this is kind of probably overwhelming, but I, I think he should go back to the hospital and we should call an ambulance. Mm. So now I'm just like in, you know, responsive mode. I'm like, okay. And at the time I had a three-year-old son um, and my three-year-old, I think was with me. And I just looked at him and I said, is it faster if I take him myself? And he said, yes. And Hmm. he gave me a choice of the two hospitals. So I took him back to the hospital he was born at. And within seconds of walking in the hospital, they scooped him up and Hmm. took off with him. Hmm. I'm like, you know, okay, what's going on? So I was sitting in the waiting room. They finally come back out, and they're like, okay, so your son, um, he's acidotic, which meant he had all this acid in his system, which I didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. He had what they told me was an ammonia level of 600. Mm. So they said, you know, one of two things is happening. Either he has an infection, so we're going to start treating a potential infection, or he has a metabolic disorder. So I was like, okay, you know, what does this mean? Um, what I found out later is that my pediatrician um, had previously, before being a pediatrician, was a neonatologist. Mm. So he was a, a neonatologist, is a doctor that um, he was working in the neonatal intensive care unit, you know, with the sickest of the babies. Yes. And um, it was just, he decided at some point that, you know, he just couldn't continue doing that because, you know, and have a a wife. So he went into being a pediatrician. So when he called ahead, he basically said, this child looks like he's in a metabolic crisis, Mm. which is why they took him so fast from me. So we're sitting and waiting. They basically said they were going to, um, you know, give him um, stuff to correct the acidosis. They were going to, you know, recheck all the labs in two hours and in the meantime I haven't seen him so two hours goes by two and a half hours goes by three hours goes by I'm still sitting there I'm with my parents in the hallway and I 
finally went in, and I'm like, what's going on, you know, with my son? And they're like, oh, well, do you want to see him? So they brought me back to him. He was, like, in the corner of the hallway. And they said his ammonia level went up to 1,200. We will be transporting him to the children's hospital. Oh. Um, but his acidosis is better. And so, you know, I'm still kind of not sure what's going on. And they were preparing him um, to get transported and putting extra, you know, they call them lines. So, like, extra tubes into him um, to try and stabilize him. Um, but there was no one around. He was literally by himself. Maybe there was a nurse. And I'm like, where is everyone? Hmm. Well, apparently a mom went into labor with triplets. Oh. So... The entire floor, all the doctors and nurses were down, you know, in the OR delivering triplets, and my son was in the hallway. Mm. So, you know, very, very upsetting. Yes. Um, so they transported him to the children's hospital, and they did something called hemodialysis. Um, so they hook him up to a machine that basically empties the blood out of their body and cleans it and puts it back in. Um, which is very, very risky in general, but for a little baby who was now seven and a half pounds, mm. so he, you know, he'd lost a, a bunch of weight, you know, very, very risky, very scary. Um, so they were able to get him hooked up to the hemodialysis and um, get the, so the ammonia started coming down like in the next day or so. Okay. And then another day went by and they came in and they said, no. We have a diagnosis, and um, they came back actually saying he had a disorder called methylmalonic acidurea. And um, my pediatrician calls me and says, you know, he's like, it's okay. He's still got his hearing. You know, that's one of the first things to go. You know, he's telling me he's like, you know, it's a good thing it's MMA and not PA. If it would have been copionic acidemia, that would have been worse. Oh. So yes. So <laughs> another day goes by and the geneticist and doctor comes in and says, um, you know, we sent out for confirmation the diagnosis to, you know, University of Colorado, and it looks like, you know, because, you know, the peaks on the graph were so close together, they misdiagnosed him, and he had propionic acidemia. Hmm. So now I'm in a panic, and then my pediatrician's trying to reassure me. Because have you so ever like, heard okay. of this? Had you at this point ever heard of this? Of course not. Yeah. I've never heard of it. So... You know, we get the diagnosis and, you know, you run to the internet, right? So you start looking stuff up. And the first thing I saw was, you know, we were, we were told it's a genetic disorder. So um, we were told my husband and I both carried um, a non-working gene, and it takes two, two bad genes for the child to have propionic acidemia. Um, so that was the first thing we were told. Um, we subsequently tested my older son, who also is a carrier. So, mm. we, you know, we thought that information was important, you know, for him to know yes. um, someday, you know, when he gets married, when and if, and if he decides to have kids. Um, but, you know, so that was the first thing we found out. And then I started reading articles, and it was horrific. Hmm. Um the median life expectancy in the articles I was reading was three and a half years old. Um, and everything I read was worse than the article before, and there really was no one doing research on it. Um, there was a doctor at UT Southwestern, no, I said doctor, a researcher, PhD doctor, and he um, had done an article about 
um, basically, he's working with mice, basically being able to prevent the mice from, you know, dying within the first day or so to living longer. So they were, they were already starting to work on, like, a gene therapy, um, and that was in 2000. And hmm. after looking around, I found several support groups, but I didn't find any groups raising money for research. And so I um, talked to a few other parents that also, you know, were just like, okay, well, we need to do something. So we started the Propionic Gasodemia Foundation. And how, was, and, how old was um, Jordan at this time? How old was... So we started talking about it pretty early. We started raising money for PAF in 2002. Okay. And we were incorporated in January of 2003. Okay, you got on so, it pretty quick. That That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so we pretty much, you know, we're like, okay, something has to be done. And so in 2002, when we started, um, you know, we sent out a bunch of letters to families and friends and everything, and we raised almost $100,000 for this researcher to UT Southwestern. And after we raised all that money, we thought about, we're like, okay, well, we kind of want more control than just sending a check to a researcher, because they could spend it on whatever they want. But if we set up a foundation and have a grants process, then we can kind of control where the money is going and how it's being spent. Right. Um, so that's kind of how we got started, and our mission is to find improved treatments and a cure for PA well, uh, by funding research Jill, and providing information. Really support. quick, yep. really quick, before you get into exactly what the foundation is and what it does, you said a couple of phrases that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with, like you and I, when we first ho heard it, like acidotic, metabolic crisis, things like that. Can you kind of break down what PA is, propionic acidemia, and what it does to the body? I can try. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, individuals with PA, they can't break down parts of protein, um, specifically for the branch chain amino acids and protein and some of the fats. And this is because um, they have an enzyme that's not functioning properly. And the name of the enzyme is PCC, which is short for propionyl coa carboxylate. Hmm. So what happens is because they can't break it down, um, there's a buildup of toxins and acids in the body. And then this can cause damage to the individual's organs and be life-threatening. Um, so if left untreated, it can lead to you know, lethargy, which is, you know, the child being really sleepy, coma, seizures, death is the bottom line. If, if it's not treated, it, it is life-threatening. Yes. Um, and even when it is treated, it still remains life-threatening. And when I say it, it affects the person's organs, um, with PA, there is a higher incidence of several different heart issues. One of them is called cardiomyopathy, which is uh, a weakening of the heart muscle. A number, another one's called log QT, um, which is uh, the electrical wave of the heart, the log Q, it's the QT, B wave. And um, what could happen with that is if that gets long, it can cause, you know, that could cause a heart attack. Um, mm -hmm. It could cause instant death if, you know, if it's not caused. And it, it, that's something that might also be familiar with the word arrhythmia. Mm -hmm. um, it can cause. Um, 
pancreatitis, um, which is, you know, an inflammation of the pancreas. It can cause um, unusual things in the blood. So it can cause a weakened immune system um, and a lot of the kids. So a lot of the families, you know, have Purell and strict hand washing, you know, at school and in their home, Mm -hmm. you know, to prevent germs because um, any sort of uh, stress on the body, whether it's stress from a cold or virus Hmm. or stress from teething even. Um, We used to end up in the hospital with elevated ammonia levels every time my son got a tooth because it causes a stressor on the body. Um, And some of the kids also, um, emotional stress. You know, if the family's traveling, every time they travel, the child was in the hospital because it's stressful not being in their own home. Yeah. Um, So... It impacts each individual a little differently, but it, it has the potential. You know, now we're seeing kidney disease in individuals with PA, which, you know, when my son was born, that wasn't really in the in the articles. Um, same thing with the pancreatitis. It really wasn't in the articles so much in the publications, and now it's, it's you know, it's yeah. something they look for when the child's in the hospital with any sort of abdominal pain or vomiting. Now, that's probably due to your research that you pioneered, that you set off, that they were able to come up with these new findings. We hope so. We hope, you know, we were involved in a consensus meeting back in, I think it was 2012, and so there were a number of articles that came out of that um, that, you know, help people, because there isn't, there isn't a consistent standard of care. Um, different doctors, different clinics, all treated a little differently. Different dietitians. Um, the disorder is managed. Nutrition is really critical since they can't break down protein, but you need protein to grow. So you know the child is kind of walking a tightrope of you need enough protein to grow and develop, but not too much to cause you know, an excess of all these toxins right. cause damage. Yeah, because that's exactly where we are now with Grace. She's still always trying to figure out every time she grows a little bit that balance that's working for her at that time. Right. So, like, when you go, you know, every time you go for a doctor's appointment, you know, they're checking the child, you know, weight, their growth, their lab values, you know, their head size and all that stuff. And, and then the dietitians are very closely involved in helping, you know, there's special formulas for the kids to take that um, do not have the amino acids that are bad for them or they have more restricted to try and keep everything in balance. And then there are also a couple other supplements that the kids are on. Um, One of them is called carnitine, um, which kind of acts like a sponge to suck up some of the toxins. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the kids are on biotin. Um, they haven't really found in, you know, they haven't really found anyone that they know for sure biotin helps, but you know, it does give them nice hair and nails. So it's, well, let me, let me say this, let's be clear. Is it curable or not curable? Because I just want to clear that up. It is not curable at this time. Um, there is no cure for PA at this time. Um, there are researchers working on, Gene therapy, um, gene therapy would be a cure um, if they could do it for PA. Um, it's very complicated because the enzyme um, that they would need to fix is 
know, it's in all the tissues in the body. Okay. So it's not it's not like it's a liver disorder and you only have to fix the liver. You know, so, you know, some of the treatments, some of the families have done liver transplants, um, which is a treatment, not a cure. Right. Um, so it's like gives them a bunch of, you know, enzyme activity from getting a new liver, but that doesn't necessarily protect their heart and it doesn't necessarily protect their brain from, you know, like we've had individuals that have been transplanted that have subsequently had a metabolic stroke or they've had, you know, cardiomyopathy. Um, recur even with the liver transplant but it does you know it does make the diet a little bit easier but it still needs to be watched and uh, there are a lot of different mutations so my son I think you know like he was the only one with his mutation okay so that's another thing so you know in addition to whatever mutation the child has they also have the rest of their DNA yes um so, you know, there are different populations where they have, you know, or even with siblings or twins and stuff where they have the, the same mutation in the family. Sometimes it even, you can see it impacts the, them differently. You know, so you could have two kids in the same family with it and one of them is having heart issues and the other one doesn't have heart issues, but they right. have issues with their immune system or whatever. They seem to, it seems to impact different even within the same family. Yeah. Mm. I def I am so happy though. I was you kind of like reached out to me and I was able to get on board and get it in a, in a community and that was very helpful for me because like like just like you said I had had never heard of it and I was like what do I do next and I was kind of lost but then when I found um people that were going through similar things it just it just helped. <laughs> it just helped uh, me deal a lot. So I really appreciate you for that. And I appreciate you for starting a foundation. So I do want to share more about the foundation. I, I know I kind of cut you off and asked you because I know people didn't really understand what PA was and we were talking about it. So fill us in a little bit more on the foundation again. Okay, so... Um... Our, our initial mission is to fund research and provide information support to families and medical professionals. So we have, you know, we've raised probably, I think we're at about $1.7 million mm. um, since 2002, which is so exciting. Mm. Uh, we've funded over 30 different research grants, you know, everything from research working on enzyme replacement therapy to gene therapy to you know, why is it impacting the heart? So we funded two projects last year that are looking at the heart because they don't know why the PA impacts the heart. They don't know why the PA, individuals with PA are more likely to have pancreatitis. Like there are a number of things that they don't know what, how did they actually do this? So they're not, you know, in, in a lot of those cases, they're treating the secondary symptom. So they're treating the cardiac stuff separately, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, the goal would be get rid of the PA in the face. Right. But, um, you know, in some of the therapies, like, you know, like a liver transplant, um, we've had a variety of outcomes. So we've had, you know, everything from, you know, children um, dying within a couple weeks of the transplant to children doing incredibly well. Yeah. Like, you know, according to families, you know, any sort of 
sort of fog they had was gone and, you know, they're eating better and they have more energy. And so there's a huge range in outcomes for that. Um, and so like there's another therapy that um, a company's working on right now called messenger RNA therapy. And the thing about that one is if it doesn't help, you can stop it. But it's mm. therapy, not a cure. Right. So it would be kind of replacing a transplant, but hopefully would also do more than help the liver. Hopefully it would get to some other, you know, targeted spots in the body. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we have a newsletter that we put out twice a year. We have a website with a lot of information on it. Um years ago we started a birthday club and we have a, a local school in Illinois where the kids actually make birthday cards. So yes, we got a beautiful birthday card. We got, <laughs> Grace got hers, yes. Grace got hers. You yes. got a big envelope of birthday cards, so that's kind of fun. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm here along with the rest of our board, you know, if families want to, you know, personally reach, you know, if they want to talk to us. So, you know, if we have someone that contact the foundation I'll pick up the phone and give them a call and you know we share information and support you know like Kimberly was saying and you know certainly for my, my son had a feeding tube um, a g-tube is what they call it which is like a, a tube connected to his stomach because he never wanted to eat by mouth right so for me you know it was so important to get support from other parents that oh my god what happens when the g-tube clogs what happens you know yes you know or and for some kids you know the kids that eat by mouth it's like my child's not eating you know does your child like certain tastes or textures or you know what do they like maybe i can try that with my child because their taste buds are a little different um so that's oh you know how do you mix the formula it's getting goofy so Mm. there's a lot of support that people get you know in and around the diet um, we also exhibit at uh, different conferences. So there's a Society for an Inherited Metabolic Disorders conference that's every year, and we always have a table there, and um, we share it with another group. And last year, actually, we were, we were thrilled. This past spring, one of our researchers that we had funded actually received, like, the Young Investigators Award from this major conference like they were chosen out of everyone that is fine that was really exciting yes um and one of our board members did a poster on um we started a registry so families can join the pa registry and it has a bunch of survey questions but once they're registered they can explore the answers so right. they can go in there and oh i guess i didn't mention about newborn screening yes um, when my son was <laughs> born in 2000 we didn't have newborn screening in illinois but we got it in 2002 and that means like every baby in the united states is checked for pa with the heel stick you know assuming they're born in a hospital and have have the heel stick right for a wide variety of different disorders and that they can so if they can diagnose it earlier you can start treatment earlier and hopefully prevent you know, some permanent damage that could happen if you don't get the diagnosis. Yeah, so which is great. Families out there need to know that if they have something going on in the hospital with their baby and they're not sure about anything, make sure that they request. request did you check that newborn screening test? Because that newborn screening test tells everything, right? Because that was it, it, yeah, it's really important. And they keep at different 
giving more things to the newborn screening test. Well, see, with Grace, what happened, um, t- we, they didn't check that until 10 days. She's, she, had, she was born, and she slowly kept slipping away. We couldn't, they couldn't figure it out, like, what was going on at the hospital. And it was literally on that 10th day where she was barely hanging on that they airlifted her to UCLA and UCLA immediately pulled her newborn screening. And I didn't even know about the newborn screening. So I didn't know to say, Hey, what is, what does her newborn screening say? You guys need to call and find that out. You know? So I, people are like, why are you so married to California? I'm UCLA saved Grace's life. And, um, I am forever grateful for that and the people there. And, um, it's just close to my heart, but that newborn screening is so important. So, so, so important. Extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there, you're, you're right. There's just not enough emphasis because, you know, with PA, there's um, there are kind of two different presentations. There's the kids that, and I use the word crash, like they go into a metabolic crisis, like their, their bodies are shutting down like day three, day four of life, like my son. But then there are other children that might have some enzyme activity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they might have 5%, they might have 10%, whatever. They might have some enzyme activity. They may not get diagnosed till 10 months. They may not get diagnosed till 16 years. They may never get diagnosed. Even if they, even if they look at the newborn? Body. Even if they look at the newborn screening? You have before to ask the for newborn screening. Right. Oh, before so that. Before okay. we had newborn screening. That being said, we, we do have a family whose child, um, the newborn screening missed them. Mm. And the child was, you know, having all sorts of issues. And then they had another baby. And then the, the second child, while the first one was in the hospital, the first one was in the hospital, had a stroke. Oh. You know, under a year old, had a, had a metabolic stroke and, the, and was having seizures or something. And they are ready to send them home. And they came in and they're like, uh, his sister's uh, newborn screen came back positive for PA. We're admitting him. And it turned out he had PA too. Oh, and the cutoffs wow. of the state were slightly off. And I believe they've since been adjusted. But, you know, the state, they want to, they don't want too many false positives. The problem is you don't want a false negative. Hmm. Like if the family gets a false positive, you know, like there are times where, you know, maybe the family gets a call saying, you know, something on your newborn screen came back, you know, we need to do more testing. Right. And, you know, sometimes then they're fine, you know, and people might be upset and be like, oh, well, you know, we went through all this, but they're fine. I'm like, okay, you should celebrate, they're fine. Yeah. Yes, it was stressful for a few days or whatever. But yes. It's great versus missing a child. Yes. You know, if the, if the last time, you know, if you miss a child, that's life altering. Yes, it is. Yes, it, it is. It could be life and death, or it could just be, you know, significant brain damage. Yes. Um, and I know you alluded to the autism piece. I mean, there's, so the poster, one of our board members is actually uh, Marissa Katrina. She's actually a PhD and a researcher also. And so she did a poster at the last conference on autism and PA mm. um, based on data from our registry, you know, because the incidence is is, you know, looking at the incidence rate. So it is um, it is something that we see in, you know, not everyone in the PA population, but there there is, you know, kind of like the heart issues, it, it is prevalent in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and my son also had autism. Yeah. 
Jordan. Tell us about Jordan. So Jordan, um, Jordan was hit pretty hard with PA, and he um, he was a very happy child. Mm. Um, he he. Uh, I guess I should start by saying he passed away when he was sixteen, which was three and a half years ago. Yes. Um, so when he, you know, I, I, I say he's forever sixteen. So at forever sixteen, oh. he means he he played soccer um, with a special a specialized soccer group, and he loved the girls. So he went around collecting the girls at soccer. Um, he had speech, um, I'd say beyond speech delay. Like he had some of his damage was to his speech center, so he had a communication device. And, and he would use that to communicate. So he'd go in there and say, you know, I want to watch Barney, or I want to go for a walk, or, you know, I want you to sing Ants Go Marching. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he loved people singing to him. Um, he loved electronics. If you could give him, if he could have 10 iPads in front of him, <laughs> he would gladly take them and be running all of them at the same time. Like, so I wanted electronics around him. Um, and he was super happy, and he went for... You know, a number, you know, initially his first year and a half, um, he was in and out of the hospital. So mm-hmm. I think he spent, I don't even remember how many weeks mm-hmm. in the hospital, maybe 14 weeks his first year and a half were in and out of the hospital. Um, and then we had kind of like, I'll call it a honeymoon period or whatever. So then he'd go for like two years and not be in the hospital. And then maybe he'd get a stomach bug and we'd go in for four days. And mm-hmm. then he went four years without being in the hospital. And, um, you know, he wasn't special ed at school, so the germs were always, you know, we tried to protect him as much as possible because, like, a 24-hour stomach bug for you or I would be a two-week stomach bug for him yes. with the potential of being in the hospital and trying to constantly feed them because you can't have them breaking down their body or they end up mm-hmm. very sick. Yes. Um, and then when he turned 15, puberty kind of, I think, started causing some changes and um he started getting pancreatitis so he got it once when he was 15 and then he got it three more times when he was 16 Mm. and um his last hospitalization we went in for with pancreatitis on a saturday night and um he overnight developed a fever of 104 in the morning they took him to go for a pick line and um he passed away going for the pick line Mm. um in the hospital so we continue to fight because yeah. we don't want you know there have been too many families that have lost their kids to PA it's, it's very serious it's life-threatening and even when you you know I say we all micromanage hmm. we micromanage their lives we micromanage their diet to the tenth of a gram everything's weighed on scale you know everything mm-hmm. is calculated and kept track of and you know you know, he, you know, outlived the three and a half medium life expectancy, but, you know, so we are seeing individuals living longer. We do have adults in their forties. We have one in their fifties. Um, so there is hope. Um, but you know, it, it is, it can be progressive and, you know, it can be causing damage that we don't even know about. Like, you know, we didn't really know that it was impacting the kidneys up until recent testing. Like, now that they're living longer, um, I guess I should mention the National Institute of Health um, PA study, mm. which is fabulous. You know, they, um, they did great through that. 
I don't think we've done. Is that a new one? The one at NIH with um. Oh, no, I think we did. We did. We did. We did. Okay. Yeah. So that study's fabulous. They've seen um, over 30 individuals with PA. You go there for five days, and they literally run every test from your head to your toe. And you can see, you know, physical therapists, GI doctors, cardiac, you know, whatever, plus whatever else they may need. And then, um, so they come up with a ton of information. Mm -hmm. And they they run different labs and stuff that, you know, your home hospital might not even be looking at. And they're doing labs for research value. So there's stuff that they're looking at behind the scenes. They're looking at new new biomarkers to to check for, you know, different things. They, um, and then they see the kids a second time or a third time, so then they follow them. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the kids will go back, you know, in two years or in one year, depending on what's going on, and kind of do do it again. And they're tracking, and and they're also working on gene therapy at NIH. That data is data. The, the data, the data is so important. The, the data. data. <laughs> oh, it's so important. Yeah. And, and it helps families because it gives them information. Like every family I know that's gone has left with something valuable out of it. Yeah. Um, and they have, they have mice, they have PA mice and PA zebrafish there that they're also, you know, testing. Because they're still trying to figure out because it causes issues throughout the body. It causes issues with with bone density, you know, so, you know, short stature, so, you know, which is also related to the diet and everything else, and just trying to figure out, you know, which things are related to the diet, which are related to the popionic acidemia, Um, the dietitians group just came out with um, some new diet guidelines um, for nutritionists. So that's something, you know, we tell our families that they have a dietitian and they're asking us, we're like, uh, they checked out the, the new diet guidelines and all the great resources from the Genetic Metabolic Dietitians International Group. I'm like, they, they need to reach out to them because they'll be able to really help them. Thank you for that because I'm going to make sure my dietitian is following up with that information there. <laughs> we actually just restructured Grace's diet because she grew some and... Uh, yeah, we just want to make sure she's a, she's still a little underweight, so we are working on, it seems like every time, like she loves avocados, but she can't eat them because her body just rejects them, rejects them, the fat, the fat in them. So we, we're working on just putting that weight back on her, and I am definitely going to check that information you just said if she's checking in on that. Yeah, it's hard. The diet's a moving target. Yeah. You know, it's like because they are growing. Like yeah. until until they stop growing. And, you know, that's why, like, the first year and a half is really hard because that's a huge growth spurt. You know, puberty tends to be another big growth cycle. Um, you know, with girls, you know, their monthly period, you know, we have families that make adjustments and increase calories a couple days before they get their period because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, they see changes when they have it. Um that's a big stressor in the body. Yes. So, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to do with the diet and tweaking. Constant tweaking. Yes. Constant, constant. Oh, every day, something new, something new. And energy. Yeah. You know, if your child has, has, you know, soccer or cheerleading or, you know, if they have gym class and, you know, some people, it's even a matter of, you know, switching around when they get the calories so that they make sure they have enough energy to, to participate in those activities. Right. 
Yeah. I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk and that you were able to share. It just, it warms my heart that we were able to do this. And um, I was glad to hear about Jordan. And I remember um, when we met, I remember Bernie. He was actually watching Bernie on the iPad. So I remember him loving Bernie. Um, I want to thank you for the research that you have put in place with the foundation that you started and your mission. And I am going to share um, the PA with this when I share it for the podcast. I am going to share all that information so people can find you and learn more about PA and the foundation and you and who you are and your story and, and our mission. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I just want to take a second and share, you know, my gratitude, you know, with you know, all of our PA board members, past, present, and future, and all of our families for, you know, participating and um, everything they do and helping each other. And, you know, you know, Kimberly, I know we talked briefly, but I'll bring it up again. It's like, you know, one of the things, you know, we kind of hope that our families do is for the parents is really try and do something for themselves. Yes. You know, take, take five minutes out of their day because it's really hard being a caregiver 24-7. And it's so important for our parents to, number one, know they're supported and know their tools out there. And, you know, if they can take five minutes to just breathe or, oh. you know, be mindful in their day or even take a five-minute walk out in nature just to help clear their head. And I know sometimes they're just it feels like there isn't enough time and there aren't enough hours of the day, but it's so important to just, even if you can get that five minutes for yourself. It is extremely important. And yes, we touched on that. I try and tell not just PA moms, every mom, everybody, especially if you are a caretaker of someone that needs you. If you are not going to, if you're not taking care of you, who's going to be there in the long haul for them? So you just like on the airplane, secure your mask first before theirs because without you, they don't have that support. So, you you know, when you break down, who's there? So you got to give yourself that time. You got to give yourself that extra five minutes. If it means waking up extra five minutes, then you got to go for it because I promise you, you'll feel better. You'll think clearer. It won't be so cloudy. You'll remember more and you'll be able to deal with the stress Um it's a little bit easier. So uh, you are right, Jill. Thanks for bringing that up about putting yourself <laughs> first. <laughs> so thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, this too. Was really great. And, yeah, I, I, I hope someday soon to see Grace Marie again. Yes, I told you when we come to Chicago, we are there. I will hit you up, and we will get, and get some parents together so she can meet. Yeah. That would be great. The Ashley and Grace podcast show is brought to you by Vast Wellness Solutions. Are you stressed, agitated, and need to relax? Vast Wellness Solutions has quality hemp and CBD-based products that are lab-tested and approved to help. Check out their product lineup at www.vastwellnesssolutions.com. Also find them on social media, Vast Wellness Solutions. Door-to-door shipping is available.